Well, the virus has now killed more than 100 people in China, and new cases have been confirmed around the world. So you don't want to frighten the American public. France and South Korea have also got evacuation plans. But you need to prepare for and assume. Strongly warning Americans to avoid all non-essential travel to China. That this is going to be a real serious problem. France, Australia, Canada, the US, Singapore, Cambodia, Vietnam, the list goes on. Health officials are investigating more than 100 possible cases in the US. Germany, a man has uh, contracted the virus. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. Japan, where a bus driver uh, contracted the virus. Coronavirus has killed more than 100 people there and infected more than 4,500. We have to prepare for the worst, always, because if you don't and the worst happens. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Well, welcome to War Room Pandemic. It's Wednesday, September the 9th, the year of our Lord, 2020. Episode 378 of Hashtag War Room Pandemic starts here. Broadcasting live from Capitol Hill, Jack Maxey, Raheem Kassam, on the John Fredericks Radio Network, on America's Voice, blown through the CCP's firewall by G News and GTV subtitled in Mandarin. And later on in the day, on Newsmax TV, we've got Stephen K. Bannon joining us. From what he calls the cultural capital of the Western world, I like to think London still has a claim to that. Steve? I think London may have a claim to the cultural capital. I said just the capital of the known world. That would be New York City. But you wouldn't know it by what's going on because New York City is almost as big a zombie land as, uh, as Washington, D.C. Our nation's capital and the most important city uh, in the world, New York City, are virtually empty. I mean, it's pretty stunning to come back after Labor Day and really, when the city starts to rev up for that drive into the holidays, that everybody get everything done by the end of the year, get everything done in the fourth quarter. Mm. And here it's virtually cricket. It's just absolutely stunning. Really want to thank all of our distribution partners, G News, GTV, Newsmax, America's Voice, John Fredericks, all the people who helped us put this show together six days a week to blow throughout the entire world. Uh, and also people on the podcast that really don't get to see the show, that if you get to see it, it's so, I think, extraordinary of how... Our production partners helped to pull stuff together. But uh, we're now almost 14 million downloads on podcasts. I want to thank all the podcast listeners. Uh, we were trying to get a cold open there, uh, Raheem. We didn't quite pull it off. I think, we got, I think we've got some, some, uh, something from Morning Joe today. Also talking, also talking to, what, what clip is it? Clip 14. If we play clip 14 from Morning Joe, that will get us into this segment, which I want to talk about polling where this race stands right now. Let's run it. We know that Republicans have always had a very strong base with Cuban voters. However, we've seen that base grow under Donald Trump. He has cultivated that vote over the last four years. And as you pointed out, Joe, he has been putting in the work. The Trump campaign has been up in Florida with TV ads, with digital ads for at least two months, with Biden coming, up, I would say, six weeks later than that. So that matters. But what I have my eye on and, and what I think Democrats should really be worried about is the non-Cubans. So if we remember in 2016, Hillary Clinton won non-Cuban Latinos 71 to 26 percent. So what's happening there? What's happening with the Puerto, the Puerto Rican voters who are traditionally more Democratic and who have been growing in huge numbers as a result of Puerto Ricans migrating over from the island because of the economic downturn, because of the hurricanes. They are ripe for the picking in terms of getting them registered to vote and bringing over to the Democratic side. But these polls aren't showing that. So I think that 
what we're seeing here is twofold. The Trump campaign building out its Cuban base very healthily, something that Obama had chipped into in 08 and 12. And at the same time, I'm seeing that, that the Trump campaign is also picking up some non-Cuban Latinos. I'm thinking, you know, the, the diaspora of folks who've come throughout Latin America, your Venezuelans, your Nicaraguans, also uh, probably picking off some Puerto Ricans. This is going to be very worrisome as we get down to, to the home stretch of the election, because there isn't going to be that much more time to mobilize these voters registered to vote and turn out because it's also a mobilization game. So this is something that Democrats should have their hair on fire about. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and Willie, uh, the mis- Go ahead, Steve. Wow. One morning, Joe. I tell you, they're in full meltdown now because there's polling coming out of Florida. And this is what has been part of President Trump's. I mean, Steve Cortez has preached this for the last four years. And Cortez is now, you know, a former war room uh, pandemic, war room impeachment guy. He's uh, he has his own radio show on the Salem Network. He's now at the campaign. Uh, he's preached this for a long time. Is that the economic nationalism, the economic policies, and really the, the, the situation with border security, with, uh, with uh, monitoring illegal immigration, that all plays to a working class, middle class, Hispanic uh, base, Latino base, not, not simply Cubans. And I think now the Democratic Party is understanding two things are happening. They're, they're, we've said this forever, that economic nationalism doesn't care about your race, your gender, your ethnicity, your sexual preference, doesn't care about your religion, doesn't care about any of that. Cares about that you're an American citizen. And that's what tri- this Strivers economy that Cortez so brilliantly framed it. Uh, and Peter Navarro, every day, you see Navarro hammering about bringing manufacturing jobs. You know, one of, the, one of the things nobody caught on is that I think that the uh, confrontation with the CCP and bringing back manufacturing jobs from China was the item that polled virtually highest with Hispanic males. Because they understand in bringing back manufacturing jobs and particularly high-value added manufacturing jobs that they're going to benefit from it. And so now I think you've seen it come to fruition where the Democrats have just leaned on their shovels and, and, and really taken for granted the Hispanic vote and taken for granted the, uh, the black vote. You know, an African-American, if you look at what Ice Cube and some of these other prominent figures in the black community are talking about, they're talking about hardcore economic nationalism. They're talking about where are the jobs, where are the factories, how are we going to rejuvenate these cities, where's the bank lending, how do I get access to capital? This is the building blocks, the bread and butter of the economic nationalist movement. So I want to talk about some polling. I know you've got some ideas on this, Raheem, but right now, you know, Politico, right as we came on on, uh, on air, they posted the thing that Trump's campaign now is in kind of a stall, not just the money situation. It's really a messaging situation and kind of a momentum. But I got to tell you, this race tightens every day, and that doesn't even include what they call the hidden Trump vote. This race is tightening because I think people are seeing the message of Donald Trump. They're seeing the populism, they're seeing the economic nationalism, they're seeing the America First national security policy where he's just not going to throw their kids' lives away in these endless foreign wars. Uh, and the, you know, he's very focused on really pulling together an alliance of which the Taiwanese president said today called it an alliance of democracy. We like to refer to it as the alliance of liberty. But Raheem, give us your thoughts right now as you look at all this different polling, particularly from these 10, these 8 to 10 critical battleground states. Steve, I think this Politico story that came up this morning is a sure sign, as as some of us may have been thinking for a while, that the uh, political establishment is living in a fantasy land over a lot of the election. It's either living there 
or it's trying to create a fantasy land, a self-fulfilling prophecy uh, for itself that undermines the Trump re-election efforts uh, to place in the mind of voters some doubt about whether or not Trump is actually a winner. Because, as you know, a lot of people vote for uh, President Trump because they feel like they want to be on the winning side. And they, they you know, it's one of his catchphrases. You will get, you, you know, you'll get tired of so much winning. And when it doesn't seem like he's winning that may turn some people off now it won't turn off the hardcores of the base uh but certainly there is an element there is a very small amount of people out there but they count in this election every single vote will count in this election unfortunately some will probably count twice um in this election and here's the thing the Politico story is completely counter to the programming that people are seeing on their televisions in the evenings when they turn it on to watch those Trump rallies. I mean, yesterday, last night, in Winston-Salem, what was absolutely extraordinary scenes. Now, it wasn't just the size of the crowd. It was the enthusiasm there. It was the length of the whole spectacle. It was the, 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 the grandness of it all reminded us of Trump in peak 2016. And you even had this sort of extemporaneous outpouring of, of chanting, we love you, we love you, uh, for the president, when he was actually complimenting ordinary Americans, ordinary patriotic Americans, uh, of, during his speech, and they started chanting back at him, no, 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 we love you. Uh, and, and so that's completely diametrically opposed to what we're seeing. Now, the experts, and I use that term very loosely, will tell you that there is a complete difference between uh, what you see at a rally versus what you see in the data. And I don't think that's necessarily true. At least that wasn't that wasn't what was true in 2016. What was happening was that, that they were underrepresenting, undersampling people. Now, the president actually made a comment over the last 24 hours about some of the news articles we've seen seen some of the analysis that we've seen about the shy Republican vote. He says, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know if I should feel insulted by it. But he says, it is what it is, and we'll take it anyway. And I think that's something that, again, uh, the establishment is failing to build into their uh, their modeling. They're probably failing into building conservative ethnic minorities uh, into their sampling. And I think the problem is also on both sides in some of the polling. You're seeing some of the polling... Um, that shows Trump ahead uh, with a lot of these groups that he needs to win more votes from, but the sample sizes are also very small. And I don't, I don't change my view on polling uh, depending on who it's favoring. The bottom line is this. I think most of it, 90% of it, is way off. Let's go to, and Jack, jump in here, but I want to go to two things. Number one is the intensity of these two campaigns. It's just stunning to me that with all the questions about Joe Biden and about his leadership and his mental acuity and all that, that they're not putting him out there more. I mean, it is, it is. you compare what Trump's done over Labor Day weekend and to the day, obviously you can't do the rallies because of the pandemic, but you're kind of doing these, I would say these mini events, uh, and uh, and, their, and their energy level is, is incredible uh, when he goes to, and I think what I would do is just send him out to factories, you know, Hitling hit five factories or five businesses that are trying to rejuvenate themselves uh, during this pandemic uh, and, and, and play it that way so that you're reaching uh, working class Hispanics, you're re reaching working class uh, blacks, that you're, you're, you're talking to this core base of people that to me are really going to determine the election and that is the working class and middle class that's going to determine that, hey, this guy may never be perfect and a lot of people don't like his house style, but in a tough situation, a tough global situation, an uncertain geopolitical situation, certainly an uncertain health situation, uh, you know, this guy did it before, and maybe I've got his back, 
Raheem, Jack, I just the energy level of the Biden thing, it's almost like he's playing into Trump's narrative of Sleepy Joe. It's just not intense. You had these things over Labor Day. You got like three or four people sitting in the backyard. Everything's it's not just a social distancing. It's kind of the bizarre nature of what it looks like. And it doesn't draw him in. The media is very low keyed. Everything about his is low key. I just don't think they understand that the intensity level is going to build here because people, I think, are going to buy into the fact that this is such an important election about the inflection point of where the country goes. Guys, love to hear your your opinion before we, go, we jump to the uh, jump to a break. Well, Steve, I'm with you. I can't believe that we haven't seen more of Biden. And I do think the American people are starting to realize that he's just not up to the job. That's why we haven't seen much of him. But one of the things I want to comment about here with some of the uh, changes in support that we're seeing with Cuban-Americans, Puerto Rican-Americans, Venezuelan-Americans, etc. It kind of shows the American people this collapse of the left's notion of identity politics. They have a sort of surprise on their face when they realize that Hispanics are not the monolith that they thought they were, or that black Americans are not all of one mind in support of the Democratic Party. I think there may be some positive aspects that come out of this as the American people realize that economic nationalism truly is colorblind. It's about your passport. It's about you being a shareholder in America. It does not care about your color. It does not care about who you spend the night with. It cares about you being a shareholder in this republic. So just my comments. No, no, no. I think think you're correct. One of the the things that we have to do more is make sure people are this broader-based ownership and broader base, yeah. you know, people I call a piece of action. I think you're seeing this, Raheem. Yeah, look, I said it a couple of days ago, Joe Biden himself is irrelevant in this whole process. So whether he's playing into it or just laying about or reading answers on his teleprompter or falling asleep or whatever he's doing, he himself is broadly irrelevant in this process. Yes, it's really easy and great to dunk on Joe Biden, and there'll be plenty of uh, moments for that over the course of this campaign. But what's important here is the fact that the Democrats know that Joe Biden is irrelevant, and they intend to win this election without having to use, rely on, or or lean on Joe Biden and his efficacy as a candidate. They intend to use uh, the lawfare here. They intend to use street violence as as they as they've shown they intend to uh, stack the decks on social media they intend to heap up a lot of pressure including on fox news as as they very clearly state on fox news to not have that election called in president trump's favor when on the night of november the 4th he will very clearly be leading in a massive massive landslide and will be in a rightful position to claim a a, a victory of sorts and they were not going to let that happen and that's the signal versus the noise right now. We'll get back to more of that. Hashtag War and Pandemic, Jack Maxey, Stephen K. Bannon, Raheem Kassam in just a second. War Room, Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room, Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. that takes time and energy and all of the things the time that we spent on this impeachment hoax nancy pelosi with her hairdryer and the whole thing (laughs) everybody has to wear a mask you must keep all beauty parlors closed then she's in a beauty parlor with no mask on and then she said the the biggest the biggest person she could have said okay she said you got me but she said, I got set up by the beauty parlor owner, who happens to be a Trump person, by the way. 
I like the beauty parlor first. She said, I got set up by the owner of the beauty parlor. Now she set me up. I said, how are you going to do with Putin, Kim Jong-un, and President Xi of China? Well, quite right. Uh, did you have something to bring us in on that chat? Well, it's kind of interesting that we had that clip there because in the live chat about 15 minutes ago, someone said, Steve, why not give Erica Kios some business? This is the woman of the salon owner out in California. So maybe we should get her out to do a live trim for Steve on air. <laughs> Hey, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I'll do that as long as she guarantees we're a mask. Just kidding. No, I think that Nancy Pelosi, Nancy Pelosi, the master of political strategy, saying that was obviously ridiculous. President Trump never losing a chance to lay one in, right? So he, you could tell that he was looking forward to that. Um, I want to talk about some special programming. Remember, on um, on Friday, we're going to commemorate 9/11. We have some very special programming on uh, on Friday. Uh, Vish and the team are putting this together right now, so you're going to want to watch. Uh, we can never forget what happened on 9-11, what caused it, how we were asleep at the switch, uh, and then what came from that that led us to this point today. So on, on uh, Friday, we're going to do a 9-11 uh, special. Uh, we'll have a lot of different uh, aspects of that you're going to want to watch. Also, on Saturday, we're going to go to the cultural aspect. Miles Will and the team over there at GTV and uh, at G Fashion, these others have really ratcheted the game up on the Chinese Communist Party. They talk about a playbook. That Darren Bailey's talking about, they're running the playbook of, of uh, Ronald Reagan on the CCP. They're taking the, the playbook of, uh, of pop culture and modern culture. Remember, one of the big aspects that brought down the Soviet Union was rock and roll, was Levi Jeans, Coca Cola, all those things. And you know, now with the launching of this music, they, I think they're having films come out, TV, everything. They're really connecting with this uh, young vanguard of uh, Chinese people. They're talking about four or five hundred million, six hundred million. People in China already, we blow through the firewall, follows it. So we're going to do that. Also, by popular demand, we've been trying to work out some time to make sure that we do it. We're going to bring back Vox Populi. We want to hear all your voices. But until we do that, live on air, we take your calls. We want to make sure everybody get questions to us in the live chat. Go to hashtag war and pandemic or in the live chat. Make sure you're feeding our staff, feeding us with. We're reading all these nonstop during the show. This is your show. We, you know, we craft it around you. The deplorables and Lao Beijing, uh, we get, uh, you know, we get tremendous, uh, tremendous feedback. We also know they're followed on the desk of the uh, trading firms and the, and the political class, et cetera. To wit, I don't know if we have it, guys. Maybe we can play it later. Did Joe Biden, did Joe Biden's team rip off, uh, rip off War Room Pandemic, guys? Was, is, this a, is this a rip off of us? Did they rip off our theme music? They absolutely did. It was two days ago that Joe Biden put out this three-minute-long campaign commercial on Twitter, and about a minute into the clip, doesn't play a music that sounds like the war room pandemic. I mean, you know, I picked that music myself when we started this show. It is the exact music. It is the exact music, and they play it at the full length of the entire clip for the rest of that ad, so we will, we will make sure we can play it for people here. We know. Listen, we know we're living rent-free in your heads, but, you know, when you start lifting our theme music, right, so that we were so proud to kind of pull back in, uh, in January when we launched the show. Also, tomorrow, we're going to deconstruct, you know, this is really the most, uh, I think, the biggest uh, a counterpunch that Biden's had to President Trump on China and the CCP. It's a three-minute long, I don't even know if you call it an ad, it's kind of a mini little program that walks through uh, you know, his counterpunch on President Trump, why he's tougher on China, why he's the guy 
as Richard Haas says, this is going to be the defining issue of our times and uh, why he, uh, why Joe Biden is the one to kind of lead us through. Joe Biden will do exactly what Richard Haas is talking about, which will be this kind of meandering around in the Thucydides trap. We're the declining power. They're the rising power. Remember, we're, the United States of America has all the cards. Miles Grove says it all the time. They're a paper tiger. All you need to do is bring your access to capital and your access to uh, your access to capital and your access to technology, and we can throw of this. I want to get back to the polling in a second, but we do we have the Frank Gaffney? Frank Gaffney Security Minute did an amazing job of another aspect of this. Of people are asleep. This is Wall Street underwriting. It's Jack Ma's. I think it's Jack Ma's new finance company. It's called the Ants. Remember when Miles Rose thing first started the whistleblower? I think. They call themselves the ants too. That's kind of a popular term the Chinese use uh, for you know for the for the little guy, right? And they're about to do a, a massive public offering. One of the problems here is Jack Ma. After lying about it for years, Jack Ma is a, you know he admits he's a member of the Communist Party. He has been forever. Do we have Frank Gaffney's? Uh, can we play that clip? Yeah, we're we ready can. To go? Hang on, yeah. I think we're booting it up. Yeah, I think we can roll. Oh, okay, let's play Frank, Frank Gaffney. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. The Chinese Communist Party is doing a fundraiser. It's getting Wall Street's help to tap American investors for many billions of dollars to underwrite a PRC conglomerate called Ant Group. If they do massively underwrite Ant's upcoming initial public offering in Hong Kong, Beijing believes its crackdown on that territory will be validated. Fortunately, a new risk profile by RWR Advisory Group reveals seven compelling reasons not to invest in Ant, including the company's reported involvement in human rights abuses, diversion of users' private data, and ties to the Chinese military. President Trump is running this fall on a platform that showcases his serious differences with Vice President Biden about China, opposing U.S. investments in malevolent CCP companies and standing with the people of Hong Kong, not validating their oppressors, should be a basis for strong bipartisan agreement. Learn more at divestchinanow.org. Pass it on. Wow, Frank Gaffney, the guys over at the uh, Center for Security Policy Committee on the present danger, throwing down again, once again, American capital, and he's absolutely correct. If you support this underwriting of Jack Ma's new company in Hong Kong, it's just basically going to show that, hey, nobody was serious about the Hong Kong having the facts of the Hong Kong situation at all. Raheem, I want to go back before we lose it. We're going to get to vaccines and talk about the pandemic in the next segment. Mm. Jack Maxey's got a lot. If you go to Drudge today, you know, Drudge in the upper left-hand corner, just dumping all over the president. And this search for the vaccine. Remember, we're not we're not totally uh, gung ho. We're hydroxy guys as a therapeutic. We're not totally gung ho on this vaccine, or particularly where this thing could head. But I think it needs to have a reasoned analysis. Raheem, before we lose a second, we got a couple of minutes left. Go back to your. You've really taken a look at these polls and, and gone through them. Tell us, give us a highlight reel of where Raheem Kassam sees the race today. It's got to the point now where I've stopped looking so much at the at the crosstabs of the polls because time and time again, what we're seeing is, all right, if you go to Real Clear Politics and you want to go and look at the poll, the, the, you know, the average of the polls and all this stuff, firstly, they're all over the place. Secondly, there doesn't appear to be any uh, uh, methodological agreement amongst the pollsters about how they're going to approach this, what the sample size is going to be, what the margin of error is going to be. And so you keep getting all of this stuff that's jumping around um, all over the place. And I think one of the most important things that you can read uh, to, that illustrates this is the Politico article, the eight states where 2020 will be won or lost, a Politico deep dive. And the funny thing is, when you get into it, it's not a deep dive. It's not a deep dive at all. It's a very, 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 very shallow dive um, into Arizona, Florida, Georgia, Michigan, Minnesota, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. And effectively, uh, Politico's contention, as was their contention, 
contention in their article this morning is that the president is upside down in all of these places and therefore the, the result is a foregone conclusion. Biden has a lead here. Biden has a lead there. D plus five here. D plus one there. And again, I mean, not to put too fine a point on this, Steve, but that is not what we're seeing playing out uh, in, in reality. We're not seeing it playing out in the streets in reality. We're not seeing it playing out uh, on social media in reality. We're not uh, uh, seeing it play out at the rallies, at the enthusiasm level uh, in reality. And you're also not seeing it play out in the commentariat mentality. You see, if Biden were pulling far and away ahead, Here's the, here's the little trick, then they wouldn't be dumping all of this information right now about the election being stolen and about how Trump's going to try and stay in office and the nation dedicates its front cover of its magazine to President Trump clinging to the, to the podium while they're trying to pull him away. That wouldn't be happening if Biden was far and away winning in these polls. It wouldn't be happening if they thought that Biden was far and away uh, uh, in the lead in terms of the enthusiasm out in the country. And it's also, you've got to look at you know where is kamala harris in all of this she sort of pops up here for the new york times to do a puff piece about her converse training shoes that she wears everywhere but there is so little substance at a time when americans want substance at a time when the world is looking for substance from an american election and looking to where america is going to go over the next four years and what decisions it's going to take it will obviously impact what happens with brexit it will happen it'll impact what happens in the middle east it's going to impact what happens in eastern europe it's going to impact what happens uh, in Asia and the South China Sea and beyond. And meanwhile, the Democrats seem to keep relying on this rickety crutch of uh, uh, substandard polling. So that's that's where my head is at, Steve. No, I think the tell, I think the tell, and Jack, jump in here. I think we got a minute or two left. The tell is how concerned they are and how they're putting it public about this plot against the president. You're absolutely right. Nation, Washington Post, it's everywhere. This is all they're talking about. They're absolutely petrified right now that President Trump is going to is going to actually blow him out on election day, and they're going to have to put their shoulder to the wheel to throw him out of to throw him out of office. This is one of the reasons today I think it was announced that they mailed all, they shipped all the ballots whether they asked for it or not to California. They want to try to run up the score. Remember, here's what the the drill is: they want to run up the score in these progressive states like New York, Illinois, and uh, in California, run up the score so they have this argument about the popular vote again versus electoral college. This is going to get down to a throwdown. The American people, if you want to defend this republic, if you want to defend this country, if you want to defend the American way of life, you're going to have to put your shoulder to the wheel. So you can't look the other way. We need everybody out there pushing this content out nonstop. We need you getting engaged as a poll watcher, as an election official. We need you to own your vote. We need you to bring in folks. We need you to go phone banks. All of it. Yeah, yeah. We'll be right back as well. More pandemic, more on the vaccines. Britain's new rule, no more than six people to gather together at a time. Jack Maxey, Raheem Kassam, Stephen K. Banner will be with you in just a second. War Room Pandemic with Stephen K. Banner. The epidemic is a demon and we cannot let this demon hide. War Room Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Banner. This is Jack Maxey. Welcome back to the War Room. I'm a little bit off my path here because I'm trying to catch up. I've got an oral exam here given by Stephen K. Bannon on vaccines. Episode 378, we're sitting here in the war room on Capitol Hill, and I'm just going to dive right in. Uh, People, you've seen overnight that they've halted the Oxford vaccine trials. This is the AstraZeneca vaccine. 
Uh, and one of the, the reason is they had an adverse reaction in one of the patients. Now, they don't know, they will not reveal what the adverse reaction is. I want to caution people that this is not unusual, and it could be because of a, a different, totally different pathogen than anything to do with the virus. It's been given to thousands of people in Great Britain, but in an abundance of caution, they have halted uh, putting new people into the trials which alone could slow down the, the release of the AstraZeneca vaccine there in a phase three trial. But they were supposed to have gotten all of the members registered for that trial by September. Uh, I'm guessing that this abundance of caution is probably going to slow that down significantly. Now, we're looking also, there was released yesterday a study from Lancet that was done by the Russians, Gamalaya, their vaccine company. And there are a lot of questions being asked about this study. And one of the big question marks for people was that they were publishing that the, the participants all had sort of the same exact number of antibodies after having had the vaccine for a period of time, say a month. Now, many scientists around the world are saying that this is kind of an impossibility that everybody could have the same level and it goes against what they're finding out with these vaccine trials around the world where certain people have different levels and it certainly goes against uh, 50 years experience with for example the influenza vaccine and other vaccines that we typically give to our 65 and above including boosters for things like chicken pox etc uh, tendency in the older population not to produce a, a really great immune response now, you're seeing the Democrats come out and they're saying that the president has been lying, that somehow it's his responsibility that this is all being slowed down. Let's remember one thing. The president is not a virologist. The president is given information by people like Dr. Hahn, Dr. Fauci, et al., now, we have known from day one, most people have said that these vaccines should have like a, maybe sometimes a two or three year trial. Now, we know we're in an emergency, so we are trying to do everything on Trump time. We're trying to get things accelerated as quickly as possible. Even Anthony Fauci a few days ago said on NPR that if it turns out that in the early third phase trials that it looks like this is having a great effect, he said that we might be able to issue an emergency youth authorization sort of similar to what they did with remdesivir and similar to what they did not do with hydroxychloroquine. Let me say that again, what they did not do with hydroxychloroquine. And the basis for this is that the vaccine may be so useful that we might skip over some of the details of a longer study I think that the AstraZeneca experience here over the last few days, the Oxford vaccine, is probably giving people a lot of pause here. Now, something else that I think people have to understand, there are typically three ways that we make vaccines. We have either a dead virus or a fragment of the dead virus that we inject into the human body, and we have an immune response that hopefully will replicate if you are ever exposed to a live virus. Or then what we have is a kind of attenuated virus where we will take a virus and we'll put it into an animal host, uh, say a chicken, right, which is not really designed to host the virus. And the virus becomes weaker over time in this host. 
And then we take that weakened version of the virus, a live virus, and we give that to the human host. And you make antibodies and you're able to kill that weakened version while retaining the ability, hopefully, to kill the stronger version. Now, one of the things that is very interesting and it kind of, I think, is what's giving people some trepidation You remember when we first broke into this pandemic in January, the CDC, for example, decided not to run with tests that everybody knew would work and a system that everybody knew we had the capacity to manufacture effectively. They decided to go with a test that no one had ever done before. It was going to test for four or five different kinds of virus strains. It was a flop. It was overly complicated. It had never been done before. Any of you enterprising journalists out there, there is a giant story considering the sourcing of that original contract. You might want to go talk to some of the mid-level players at the CDC and and seek out their connections with the people. But be that at may, it was a failure. Now, when you look at what Pfizer and Moderna are doing, they are following a path for a uh, a vaccine using what they call messenger RNA. Now, it's been around for about a decade, this idea, mostly in cancer research, where we try to modify the response at a molecular level inside your cells by introducing, say, in the cancer's case, a piece of the cancer that would allow you to produce something that from your own cells that your own immune system would then see and hopefully respond aggressively against the cancer. They're trying to do this also with the coronavirus. Now, in theory, this is how it works. They stick a little RNA molecule into your cells, and your cells produce a protein that mimics a protein on the exterior of the coronavirus. Now, your body produces this foreign protein because the messenger RNA has inserted itself into your cellular structure, And you're producing a uh, protein molecule that you don't need, but that we hope will be exactly like the protein molecule on the surface of COVID-19, and therefore, in future, you will have a proper response. Now, here's something to think about, people. There has never, ever been an RNA vaccine that has been licensed for infectious disease. There has never been an RNA vaccine that has been licensed for infectious disease. So this raises a kind of question, I think, in the mind of both scientists and the public. We're seeing that, you know, as high as 40-some percent say that they're not going to take it. This is without any knowledge. And we know for a fact that we have a very large anti-vaxxer population in this country already. I mean, we have parents who won't even give their children measles vaccines. And one thing that I think we have to remember, even Fauci and some of the studies are showing that, you know, hey, we might get a 50 or 60 percent effectiveness rate out of these vaccines. We might need multiple dosages. We are not certain about how long the immunity would last, either through T-cell memory or because of free Uh, T-cells in your system that are designed to fight it. It is a very complicated process. And one of the things that I think is kind of interesting is we've, again, chosen the most complicated avenue for this crisis. It's never been done before. And so I do think that there is some question about how we're rushing these things. But I want to give Donald Trump some cover. 
he is going by the best advice of Anthony Fauci at the NIH. He is going by the best advice of Dr. Hahn at the FDA. And I think the reality is these guys may have jumped the gun. I mean, you look at Moderna, they have never even produced a commercial vaccine, and yet these guys are now the front runner. And what we're also seeing around the world is you're seeing this idea of kind of nationalism getting behind the vaccine. Who's going to get it out first? I think the Russians have called their vaccine Sputnik 2. And, uh, you know, this is obviously a big uh, slap in the face to the U.S., you know, kind of like comparing the vaccine race to the arms race or the satellite race back in the 50s. Let's remember that's as far ahead of us as they ever got. So they're questioning the Russian vaccine. You're seeing the Chinese say that They've been giving the vaccine to everybody with no problem. But even the uh, vaccine, the AstraZeneca vaccine out of Oxford, which is probably the most traditional of the front runners of the Western vaccines, they saw uh, responses in about 80 percent of the people. When I say response, it would be soreness at the injection site. It might be mild fever, aches and pains, similar thing to what you might get from a flu vaccine. So. You know, let's say that this vaccine is similar to the flu vaccine and it's got anywhere from a 40 to 60 percent effectiveness rating. It has a very poor effective. It would the flu vaccine has a very poor sort of effectiveness for the people who most need it, who are over 65. So I think that one of the problems is that the mainstream media, the scientists who advise the president, and I'm not talking about all of them, but I'm talking about the particular ones, Han, Azar, Han, uh, Fauci, have told him and told the American people that this vaccine is a silver bullet to get us out from under this pandemic. I don't think that's the case. I believe that the history will tell us that we should have concentrated on the therapeutics and we should have paused and taken our time with the vaccines like we have done with every other uh, sort of viral problem in history because we don't so, want to... So, Jack, Jack, yeah. Jack, let me jump in here. I want Raheem... Uh, here's, you know, something in the polling that's interesting. President Trump doesn't look like he has the support of, of the what they call the white working class in some of this analysis uh, versus the rise in, in some of the intensity in the, in the black working class and particularly the Hispanic. Is part of this uh, not just that we've always been the supporters of the therapeutics versus uh, this kind of forced march for the vaccines, but Raheem, do you think we may be getting some of the anti-vaxxer crowd? Because people at the Trump campaign, the White House better understand, if, if these people that, and I'm not saying they're right or wrong, but the people that really don't believe in these vaccines, a big portion of those are Trump followers. And I wonder if you're seeing any of the weakness in the polls because some of the Trump base is sitting there going, why is he so slamming this, uh, you know, the, the, the vaccine, and particularly not to even as, as anti-vaccine as they are, mm. the Rush vaccine, where you see the Chinese thing that's a joke, the Russian thing's a joke. Um, you think, Raheem, that's having any blowback at all, or am I overthinking this? No, I think you're right. I think there is some. I mean, when you look at the rallies, for instance, I pay very close attention to which lines land and which don't. And when he was talking about... Uh, the vaccine and warp speed yesterday there was just a sort of low level mumbling from the crowd every other line was getting getting cheers and 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 whoops uh but started talking about the rush to the vaccine and there was just a kind of like eh, yeah well you know not really sure about this and here's the thing right i mean i'm not an anti-vax person but what i am and i've said this many times on the show 
is not somebody who's going to let somebody inject me with a rushed thing. And and especially when you take into account the efficacy of things like the flu vaccine, um, it's just it, it doesn't seem to me like the president is onto a winner with the with with pushing the the, the vaccine narrative now. To, to go back to one of Jack's points, he is following the advice of, of his best scientists or so-called best scientists around him. And that's what everybody has been pushing him to do. Follow the science, follow the expertise, follow the thing. But at some point, he's going to have to turn around and go, hold on a minute, guys. Like, w- what is actually going on here? You say that, though, but on the upper top of Drudge, the headline up in the, in the top left is Fauci says it won't be a vaccine before election day. I just don't think the president, to me, I don't think it should be pressing this. I got to tell you, because I don't think it gets many new people in. And you're absolutely right. The two lines that never work on this thing is when he talks about the vaccine, you see it's kind of chills the audience. There's no big, you know, uproar. The other one is that when he says we're the elites, you know, they're not the elites. That, that's just never, that one always plays, lays an egg. Okay, we got to jump. Hashtag war and pandemic. I want in the live stream. Uh, we're going to sum up. We got so much, so much in the show. I want to just absolutely think that we're going to come back. I guess we, I guess we faded out, Steve. That's your music. We'll be back in just a second. Hashtag war and pandemic. Who's here? War room. Pandemic with Stephen K. Bannon. The epidemic is a demon, and we cannot let this demon hide. War room. Pandemic. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back to the War Room. Raheem Kassam, Jack Maxey, Stephen K. Bannon joining us down the line from New York. And uh, we have some homework for you. Is that right, Steve? Yeah, listen, this is our audience here is not here to be entertained. We hope we're as entertaining as possible, but we're here to get the job done. Uh, that's why we're a war room or an action center. This is why we've got the most engaged audience in the world. You've already made world history. You're, you, you've combined with Lao Beijing to put the Chinese Communist Party on notice that the, uh, the freedom of the Chinese people is absolutely essential. And it's because of your retweet, your engagement. It's just been absolutely incredible. This is why uh, Wall Street trading desk watches. This is why Joe Biden's campaign, we're living rent-free in their head. They actually rip off our music. Wait, look, we don't mind. Use the war room theme. We love the theme. We, we love the fact that you've got it out there. Tomorrow we're going to deconstruct the video that you did on President Trump about uh, about Joe Biden's a better option on China and taking on the CCP. So we'll give you a fair shot. We'll go through this. But every day we're going to have homework assignments. Today what you've got to do is go was it, uh, defend the ballot, which I think will take you over to the Trump site. By the way, if you're, Biden, if you're one of the Bernie guys listeners, you haven't been convinced, hey, we believe in participatory democracy. Go to the site and sign up for Biden. We have no problem with that if, if that's what you believe. Uh, for those guys that believe in Trump, you've got to get engaged. What you have to do is go to your local GOP, find out how you become a poll watcher, find out how you can help on the get out the vote drive. If you go to defend your ballot, I think it'll take you to the Army of Trump site with the campaign. They're looking for volunteers. Uh, or go to your local elections board, which every person should be doing, to find out how you can be an, an election official. In the room, in the deal. Not in the room, not in the deal. This is the most contentious political campaign in history is going to lead to a really a, a, I think, a game-changing election on the 3rd, and the winner is not going to be announced until right before uh, Inauguration Day. If you want to be part of history, hey, if you, all you people out there, we know our audience, our history buffs, you know, you all say, hey, I wish I was during the Revolution or the Civil War or World War II, but hey, you're in the great fourth turning of American history. Be an active participant. And you can be an active participant in the show. Just give us retweets, push the content out, get it up on Facebook, tell your friends about it. 
We want to get to as many people as possible, and particularly as we've got so much great stuff happening. And part of it is the afternoon show, National Pulse. Raheem, you guys are on fire on your site. The show is fantastic. I think ABN gets a real hat tip for standing up your show so quickly. Tell us what's on uh, this afternoon and what are you guys working on? Yeah, well, we'll have uh, we'll have Dr. Yarn on this afternoon uh, to talk about some uh, the more, more uh, contemporaneous reports that she's working on, and we'll have breaking news on that at 3 p.m. on the National Pulse. And also, Bill McGinley, uh, who this audience should know very well, will join us for a, a, a more uh, a lengthy discussion about this subject specifically the mail-in ballots uh the voter fraud i had this big article up over the course of this weekend uh, on the national pulse my own research about the mail-in ballots especially from uh, uh somewhere that's tried it in earnest since 2001 which is the united kingdom and what the responses were not just from uh the political right but from the council of europe big globalist entities said that the, the the uk ballot was completely uh vulnerable to major fraud as a result of postal voting and i, I walked through several different things so Bill McGinley and I will talk about that as well. And I just want to make something clear here also. The Army for Trump website, yes, it gives you all sorts of different things. Become a digital activist, make calls, knock on doors, fundraise, etc. And if people if people want to do that, do that. But more importantly is becoming an official, an official at the polls. And that can only be done through your local county uh, elections website. So you've got to go out and seek out your county, their elections website, and register as an official rather than a campaign side of things. Those are two completely different things. And I want to make sure that the people who want to be officials, uh, many places are paying for it, that you have the opportunity to do that because you have power in that scenario being a campaign operative a campaign activist doesn't grant you the same power in an election as being an election official is so go there you probably are qualified you probably think you're not you probably are qualified to do it as long as you got that day free you can do it jack i just wanted to say something about my long-winded talk about the vaccines because i have some advice for the president it is clear that fauci and the fda in my mind are not going to release these before the election I think that he's being set up to have this vaccine become a tool to beat him down on the way into the election. I think he should just announce, hey, you know, politics are involved. This is the health of the American people. And uh, if it comes before the election, great. If it comes after, safety is the most important thing. I'm not a virologist. I'm the president of the United States. End this nonsense that the left is now trying to blame the president on the speed at which the vaccines are coming. He is following the advice of his experts. That's it. Yeah. Raheem, I'll really quickly, we only got a couple of minutes left. By, by the way, special programming on Friday. We're going to be commemorating 9-11 on Saturday, talking about the cultural, the new cultural revolution going up against the CCP in China with Miles Bro. But Raheem, Boris Johnson threw a chop block to us this morning. What's going on in England and now that you're going to limit uh, any engagement, anything to, to, to do to six people? Where did that come from? Yeah, this is now called the the rule of six. And the prime minister actually led a news conference this morning from Downing Street saying that there is a a new spike in cases, uh, coronavirus test cases, uh, that the that Britain has experienced in the last week or so, and so the official uh, um, output from the government is that social gatherings uh, must be limited to six people. That comes with the threat of a fine of a hundred pounds, which is not a, not an awful lot, a hundred and twenty odd dollars uh, for the first offence, but on each further repeat offence 
up to £3,200. So you're talking close to $4,000 uh, if you're found to be a repeat offender of gathering in groups of more than six. Now, this is because, uh, as I say, the the spike in test uh, results in the United Kingdom over the last couple of weeks and a furious debate taking place right now in the United Kingdom because, of course, our Brexit deadline is coming up very quickly as well. So a furious debate happening on the legal side of that and the legal side uh, of the uh, of the pandemic. You saw those incredible scenes of thousands of people gathered in London uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And so there's a there's a real, uh, a real, real tensions now. Wow. Okay. This pandemic still still affecting uh, everything. I want everybody out there, hashtag war and pandemic in the live chat. Uh, everybody that sees us wants you pushing out the content. We want to have your commentary, your observations. Tell us what you want to see more of. Remember, special programming on Friday commemorating 9-11 and this weekend a major special on this new cultural revolution. The blowback on the CCP is going to be quite extraordinary as this campaign season really starts to heat up. Raheem, yeah. Jack, take us out, guys. I just want to make yeah. sure that the audience, that you're doing your part out there to, to share this show. I know so many of you are. Uh, grab whatever links you want. They're on Twitter, they're on Facebook, they're on YouTube, whether it's the subscribe link, the videos, the clips that we put up, the whole show, uh, the podcast, download subscribe links. Grab something today and every day. There's no excuse. Get it to 10 people, 20 people, 50 people, 100 people. Make that your job every day and we'll see you tomorrow.